Saturday. Thanks for joining us for the Saturday version of the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today we are in 2 Corinthians 10 through 13, and we're closing it out as Paul is in the apologetics version of what he is about on himself as he confronts the church in Corinth for the way they're treating him. He feels like they don't give him credit for who he is and for the God he serves. And so in these next few chapters, it sounds like he's boasting. But what he's really doing is he's trying to give credit for what God is doing through him. And what we have to do in this is look at what you would do if you were in a job interview and you were having to sell yourself to get a position in a job or to get hired for a job and you have to convince people that you were the right candidate for the job. And really what Paul is doing here in this is trying to get people to see that all that he is and all that he is about is because God works through him. It's not of his own accord. It's because God has given him the ability. And so there's most of that is in these next few chapters and what we close out with in these four chapters. But I want to pull out some of the highlights, okay? So I'm not going to get real detailed with it. I know that a lot of people that don't look at this with open minds and don't study the text, don't remember that it's a letter written to a church, look at it topically and say he's he's bragging about himself. But if we study the text and really look into what it's about, Paul is really in a sense of apologetics. If you study apologetics, that's explaining why you are what you are about or why something is what it is. And so what really gives us the first inclination of that, it starts in verse 3 of chapter 10. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. See, he's speaking to a militaristic mindset there in Greece, you know, Greco-Roman times. And so he's speaking in a militaristic mindset with this war thing. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them 
to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. So he is speaking in terms that he's relevant with his audience with because it's a militaristic mindset. And, you know, I can tell you this, that this uh, coach I'm working with right now, we both believe in discipline and we both believe in order. And so we're trying to teach our team as they learn stuff that we may not have all the answers to being the best team on the floor all the time, but we at least want to look like and be a well-disciplined team with order and discipline. And so we're really pushing that. And Paul says in the world today, we may not be the strongest military team, but we serve the strongest God. And the things that come against us are not of flesh and blood. We don't fight like human fights. We fight with the weapons that God give us. We have the Holy Spirit. Remember, and I've referred to this many times, Jesus said, all the things I have done, you're going to do and more. Because he promised that when he leaves the earth and ascends to heaven, he's going to send us the Holy Spirit, which is his self living inside us. And we're going to be able to do things in the supernatural if we believe. And to counter that, let's just look at that. When he did things in the supernatural for people, he would tell them, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has given you sight. Your faith has let you walk. So we have that strength if we are believers in Christ, children of God, and we know this, and that's what Paul's saying is we have things greater than that. Remember, he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so while he sounds like he's boasting, he's really telling us, man, we got the greatest thing ever working with us. And so he spends a lot of times, a lot of time talking about the trials he goes through, and he's begging them, don't fall for these false teachers because they're going to come in and they're going to tell you who that they are teachers and preachers and and things of Christ but they're going to teach different things of Christ they're going to teach different ways of the world different things of what they call the Bible and Paul will get more specific in this later in one of his other letters and tell us that they're going to water it down so that you hear what you want to hear so that you can live the way you want to live in an unchanged way of life. When Jesus actually said, if you want to follow me, you got to give up your life. So don't fall for these people who don't live by the truth. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel. So live by the truth. And if you're not facing any trials, then maybe that's something that tells you 
that maybe there's not a lot of truth in it. And that's what he goes through in a lot of things in chapter 11 because people call him weak because he goes through trials and struggles and it looks like he's beat down and he goes through all the whippings and lashings and stuff near death experiences he's had but yet he always survives because God gives him the ability to survive and people are like oh you're boasting because you did all that and you survived it no he's not boasting about it he's saying the only way he survived it is with God and that if we aren't going through trials, then maybe we're not living in a world that requires faith. Ooh, that's intense. So when we make it through those things, the only thing he says we have to boast about is our faith in God. And that's when he talks about how that Damascus experience really kept him in seeing what he was doing in that Damascus experience. They were so after him after he saw God, Jesus, in the light, why are you persecuting me, that they so wanted to kill him, they were waiting for him, and he had to be lowered outside through a basket in a window to escape the clutches of death. So, really, we have to realize that when we're doing what we're doing in this spiritual warfare, there's going to be some suffering. And so chapter 12 is where we get Paul talking about the thorn in his side, you know, where he, he, he got to see all these great things that God has done. He gets, gets to go to heaven and he sees all these things that he can't even repeat because he doesn't even remember what was said, but he just knows it was an awesome experience being in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, I remember one time, when uh, I was a camp counselor and we were no kidding in the presence of heaven, heaven came down and it was the greatest experience. If anybody's on here that was there with me and all of us that year, it was so good. I still got the shirt from that. I could probably look at it and figure it out, but it was so awesome. And the, and the presence of heaven was real and we just never want to leave it. And you know, the one thing we tried to tell our youth that year, and we had youth, high school, college careers, youth there, is, you know, when we leave this experience, we have to steward that. We have to tell people about it. But we know that we have to do it humbly because the Lord is going to expect us to steward it, but he's, you know, tell people about it, be a witness for Christ about it. But there's also going to come hardships and times, you know, that people aren't going to want to hear about it. And so Paul talks about this thorn in his side. He doesn't mention what the thorn is. People speculate what they think it is. And the fact is he prayed to the Lord, says three times, 
Three different times he begged the Lord to take it away. And, and the Lord's reply to him is, my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, I am made strong. Now, in the version we're reading, NLT, it says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Okay? So think about that. His grace is sufficient. In our weakness, he is made strong. So that doesn't mean he preys on our weakness. What that means is when we get to that moment, when we relinquish control, then the Lord's power takes over for us because we realize we can't do it on our own and we surrender control to him and we say just like jesus did in gethsemane not my will but yours be done <laughs> lord you do it i can't do it on my own and you know for some of us that's hard to do and so the Lord may have something in our life that we deal with every day. And, you know, for me, for years, I thought migraines was my thing. But since I got on this health and wellness program, I, the Lord has healed me of migraines. And I don't know if that means I've reached a new maturity level where the Lord doesn't use that because he knows that I surrender all to him. Or if there's something else that I'm going to be awakened to that he says, you got to give this to me. All I know is the Lord has a way of keeping us in his presence to where we have to realize. And let me tell you, since November 22nd, 1996, I have never been more aware of the fact that I can't do it without Jesus in my life. And what Paul is saying, my boasting is about my weakness and that the power of Christ has to work through me. It's not about me. It's about him. I'm not boasting about me. It's about my weaknesses, if anything, and that Jesus is all I need, and I can't do it without him. So he says straight up, for when I am weak, then is when I am strong. Which means Paul knows in his weakest moments is when the Lord is allowed to show his greatness. Because when we are weak, we relinquish control, and the Lord has the greatest control. Can I say that again for you? In our weakest moment, it's not written down. That's what's in my mind. That's what the Lord just gave me. In our weakest moment is when we relinquish control, and the Lord has control, and we have our greatest moments in his presence. 
Whew, that's so good. That's so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That doesn't mean we go around weak, remember, because he gave us all authority, right? But that means when those moments come and we think our circumstances are overwhelming, remember who you are in Christ and know that if God is for you, who can be against you? And so Paul makes note that he's coming back to him for the third time, and when he comes back to him, he's going to hold him accountable for all things, for all the behaviors, and he's, and he's concerned because he's afraid he's going to find them with unrepentant hearts and a bunch of impurities and, and things that are going to be uh, out of character for followers of Jesus. And in chapter 13, he just tells them straight up, when I come back, I'm going to need witnesses of two or three because when I come back, we have to make sure that all things are right because here's what I always say to my people. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ Jesus is among you. And if he's not where he's supposed to be in your life, in a genuine way, and that test when you test yourself, check yourself, then we need to recognize that and repent. And one of the greatest things I like about our street reach is when we repent. And a lot of times people look at repentance as a sign of weakness. But I, like I said, it's not always a sign of weakness as much as it is a sign of acknowledgement so that we can rectify, repent, and be redeemed for whatever it was and come into right standing because the whole reason we repent before we ever hit the street is so we can cleanse the waters. And that's what Paul's writing about in 13, is let's cleanse the waters because dear brothers and sisters, we have to be joyful. We need to grow in maturity and encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. And when the waters are muddy, you can't live in harmony and peace. And when we live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and the God of peace lives within us. And that's when we live united and not divided. And that's how he closes out the second letter of Corinthians. How about that for a Saturday pre-Sabbath 
mindset. Examine yourselves. And if you don't pass the test, let's repent. So we go into our Sabbath with a mindset that says we're going to live in harmony and peace so that then we can live with the God of love and peace in our midst so that we know that we can live united, not divided. Have a great Saturday. We'll see you tomorrow. Happy